When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Fans for Sports Network listeners, welcome to another episode of The Call Sheet. This is Kevin Smith with you, podcast host here at FFSN and at the Steel Curtain Network, high school football coach in the great state of New Jersey, writer for the Steel Curtain Network, really thrilled to have an opportunity to talk about the fascinating season that we're having here in the NFL. And this is a really special week. It is Thanksgiving week. And so on the show today, we're going to do a, an interesting little exercise whereby we give all the fan bases in the NFL one thing to be thankful for. What's one thing, no matter how your season's going, what's one thing that every, every fan base in the league can be thankful for? So we'll get to that in a minute. But first, as we always do, we're going to talk about a player who wore the number that mirrors the episode of the call sheet that we are currently in, and this is episode number 32. And man, there have been some great players to wear the number 32 in NFL history. I actually started this little tradition on the show uh, a couple months ago by profiling one of those individuals, the great Jim Brown, who wore number 32. And when Jim Brown passed away, I did a long profile on how Jim Brown changed the running back position in the NFL. And that sort of gave me the idea to start doing player profiles. So we're not going to do Jim Brown and we're not going to do the great number 32 Franco Harris of the Pittsburgh Steelers, because as a Steeler fan, I don't want to be accused of too much homerism. So instead we're going to go to the most controversial number 32 in league history. And that is OJ Simpson. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a tricky subject when you talk about OJ because it's hard to separate OJ, the football player, from OJ, the accused criminal. Uh, and I say accused, everybody's got their opinions on what went down with OJ Simpson and that whole uh, fiasco. But uh, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit. But real quick, for those who forget, you know, OJ Simpson was one of the greatest running backs in NFL history. He was an All-American and a Heisman Trophy winner at USC. Drafted by the Buffalo Bills, was the first running back in NFL history to rush for 2,000 yards in a season. He eventually retired where he was enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And his second career went on. He became OJ the Entertainer. Right? He, he starred in commercials. Everybody, I think, of a certain age remembers the famous Hertz commercials where OJ was running through airports as a pitch man for the car rental company. And he starred in several movies, the towering Inferno and most notably the naked gun series where he played kind of a slapstick role in those goofy Leslie Nielsen movies. And he was also a commentator on Monday night football. I mean, OJ was everywhere, you know, OJ 
he was like uh he was like one of the Kelsey brothers in, in in terms of his exposure, the way that they're sort of all over the place right now. Um, but then of course all that changed in 1994 when OJ Simpson was accused of murdering his ex-wife, Nicole Brown Simpson, and her friend Ronald Goldman. And that sort of catapulted OJ Simpson into the category of infamy, which is where I, be- I believe he resides right now. I mean, if you can think back, you know, I'm 53 years old. I remember this really vividly. But there's there's two, two instances involving OJ Simpson's uh, participation in that whole fiasco, the whole OJ Simpson case and trial and all that, that stand out as vividly as any two things I can remember in my life, right? If you ask me, like, what are moments in your life that you remember so clearly that don't involve, you know, like family, the birth of my kids, et cetera? It's 9-11. I remember exactly where I was, what I was doing on, on 9-11, right? Uh, and honestly, after that, beyond outside of football memories, it's OJ. And the two things I remember most vividly, one, being in a bar on a Saturday night in June of 94, Uh, While the NBA finals were playing between the New York Knicks and the Houston Rockets, I was in a bar uh, in Atlantic City, New Jersey. We decided to go over to AC because we knew the bar scene would be rocking. We were young, young 20s at the time, and we were into the bar scene. And we knew it would be rocking over there in Atlantic City with the NBA finals on. And the finals are on and everybody's packed in there and having a good time, et cetera. And then slowly, kind of surreally, all the televisions began to turn off the game and instead they focused on this white SUV driving what looked like fairly slowly down a highway with about 40 cop cars pursuing it from behind and you know there was yeah everybody's talking the bars loud and but but kind of deliberately the bar got quieter and quieter and quieter as people began to realize what was happening and I'll never forget the image of standing in this crowded bar I mean you know, this is a fairly big bar. There is easily over a hundred people in there and everyone is standing in complete silence, holding their drinks, watching mesmerized at, at this so-called Bronco chase as OJ Simpson is in a slow pursuit with the police and not having any idea what was going to happen. I mean, that was a surreal moment. The entire bar transfixed by that image on the television. And then I remember roughly a year later at the culmination of his trial in my classroom as a, as a teacher, a high school history teacher. And we didn't have many televisions in our room at the time. And so a couple of the students had brought in like little handheld radios. And there was a group of students on one side of the room who were all sort of pro OJ and a group of students on the other side of the room who were all very anti-OJ. And we were listening to the verdict as it was read live. And they read that verdict. They announced that OJ Simpson was not guilty. And some of the guys, a few of them who were, who were football players on our football team, celebrated as though they'd won the Super Bowl. I'll never forget Greg Lefevre, man, big stud linebacker we had at Ocean City who went on to play at East Carolina. Greg Lefevre jumping up and down, screaming, the juice is loose, the juice is loose. And on the other side of the room, girls literally in tears, breaking down, crying because they were so upset at that verdict. I mean, it really was an 
fascinating moment to be a teacher. And, you know, the O.J. Simpson trial, it, it, it just was different. It was different than anything else. I mean, we'd had these celebrity trials before, these trials that involved celebrities, not, not as defendants like O.J., but if, for, for those of you who know your history, you probably are, are cognizant of the Charles Lindbergh uh, case where he, where he, the Lindbergh baby was kidnapped out of their home and found murdered. And there was a, a spectacular trial involving a, a media circus, uh, not unlike the O.J. Simpson case, except it was the early 1930s and you didn't have cable television and the, and the, the burgeoning Internet to, to bring it into your homes 24 seven. But but the you know, cases involving celebrities and crime, that wasn't new. But what was different about the O.J. Simpson case is that it was a it was a case about crime yes but it was also about race and it was about wealth and fame and celebrity and you know the fact that it occurred at the dawn of that cable news and internet era made it the perfect story for that moment in our history And, and i mean that with no disrespect to the families of the victims simply that america as it entered the technological age this was a story that could captivate people like no other and that could be beamed into your home 24-7, 24-7, transfixing people. It was really the birth, or if not the birth, the 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 full-blown eruption of American voyeurism. I mean, we have in in the interim or we or in the time since, man, we've fallen in love with these ideas of reality television, of of YouTube, watching people just kind of put their things on YouTube, whatever they might be. I mean, my gosh, I've got a YouTube breakdown show, a uh, video show that I do. And we and we look into uh, other people's lives with this fascination that I don't think we had before the OJ trial. So, I mean, I'm not going to go on about this. Enough has been said already. You know, I have my thoughts on OJ Simpson, the man, his guilt or innocence. Uh, This is not the forum on which to offer them. I'll only simply say, you know, as a football player, he was magnificent as a person. it, It certainly seems like he's turned out to be far less so. But the trial of O.J. Simpson changed this country in some fundamental ways. And for that, you know, it's fairly unique. So number 32, O.J. Simpson, for good or for bad, here on the call sheet. All right, let's move on to a, a, a lighter subject and a subject that we should all be uh, getting excited for, man. I mean, it's it's if you're listening to this uh, as it airs, it's Wednesday. And, uh, and Thanksgiving is upon us. And it's one of my favorite holidays, man. I think it's a vastly underrated holiday. I'm going to make a football analogy. To me, it's the Jim Plunkett of holidays. Jim Plunkett, who who won two Super Bowls with the Raiders in 1980 and 1983, but but many fans a aren't aware of that, and b struggle to locate Jim Plunkett in their memory. You know, he was he's just one of 12 quarterbacks to win multiple Lombardies, but he did so sandwiched between a Steelers dynasty of the 70s and a 49ers dynasty in the 80s. And so, you know, much like Thanksgiving is sandwiched between Halloween, which is popular for obvious reasons, like namely dressing up and getting candy, and Christmas, which is the Super Bowl of American holidays, Thanksgiving is often given less than it's due. But I love it. I love it, man. My day, this Thanksgiving is going to be very, very different, however, than in the previous about 30 Thanksgivings, because for the first time in almost 30 years, I will not be coaching a football game on Thanksgiving morning. The state of New Jersey runs or ran, I should say, for over 100 years, a wide slate of 
high school football games on Thanksgiving morning that kicked off at 10 a.m. The Ocean City High School, where I coach, played Pleasantville High School, a, a rival school about 15 miles away from here, a hundred times on Thanksgiving morning. A hundred times, a hundred years of Thanksgiving games between Ocean City and Pleasantville. But last year was the hundredth game, and we decided because the state of New Jersey moved the start of the football season all the way up into the last week of August and the playoffs end right around Halloween, or at least, at least if you lose in the first round, like we did this year, they end around Halloween and trying to keep your team together for another three and a half weeks, just to play one more game on Thanksgiving was really difficult. We moved our game with Pleasantville all the way up to the first game of the season. And we will not be playing a Thanksgiving game this year. So it's the first time in about 30 years that I haven't woken up around 6 a.m. to get to a game, coach that game, and then come home. And we host Thanksgiving in our house to a big crowded house and family. And so it's going to start different this year, but it's still going to be about those three things, football, food, and family, man, the three F's of Thanksgiving. And I love the spirit of that holiday. I love what it involves. Giving thanks is something I think we're less inclined to do than we should be in, in this life and I have a lot to be thankful for personally, my family, my health, the fact that I've been able to build a career somehow around the great sport of football, around coaching and teaching. So I thought, you know, in the spirit of the holiday, let's do a quick run through of all 32 NFL teams and remind their fans of something that they should be thankful for about that franchise. All right. So here we go. Let's start with the AFC. So in the East, Jets fans, I know it's hard at times for, for Jets fans to be thankful, but you just bench Zach Wilson. Be thankful for that. Because Zach Wilson wasn't going to take you anywhere. You know, I hate to start on a negative like that, but you can't tell me Jets fans weren't happy when they heard this news on Monday. I don't know if Tim Boyle will be any better, but he won't be worse. So Jets fans, be grateful for that. And Miami Dolphin fans, be thankful for the fact that your team is the closest thing in the NFL for, uh, to basketball on grass. I, I equate the Dolphins to the Lob City Clippers of the NBA a few years back in football form, racing up and down the field, kind of doing the football version of slam dunks and alley-oops and high-flying shootout victories. And like those Clippers, the Dolphins probably won't play enough defense, at least this year, to win it all. But, Dan, they are fun to watch. All right, Patriots fans. Now, you, now here's the thing, man. Again, hard to find things to be thankful for at times with some of these franchises, but Hey, you play the three and eight giants this week. So you, you might get a win. You can be thankful for that. Unless of course you're trying to tank so you can land the top pick in the draft, in which case this probably isn't a good thing. But then again, maybe Tommy DeVito, right? The giants out of nowhere quarterback uh, will do to you what he did to the commanders last week, in which case you'll lose again. And so you can still be happy. And Bills fans, well, the Joe Brady era is off to a flying start. And if Brady can get the offense back on track, then your season isn't over. And so for that, you should give thanks. All right, on to the North, where Ravens fans should be grateful for their winning culture. Baltimore's getting crushed by injuries this year, yet they're 8-3, and three, and they really look as good as ever. And that's not an accident. The Ravens, they simply know how to win. And Browns fans, you can be thankful for DTR. DTR, the young kid, the young rookie quarterback, right? Dorian Thompson Robinson. He wasn't great on Sunday against Pittsburgh, but he did enough to get the win. He's a, he's a really good story. He's probably going to get better as the season goes. And with Cleveland's defense, that might be enough to 
get them into the playoffs and even win a game. So celebrate DTR there, Browns fans. And Bengals fans, I know it's I know it's dark in Cincy right now with the Joe Burrow injury and their season having seemingly slipped away. But Cincinnati is one of the youngest rosters in the league. And the Bengals, they'll be back, no doubt about it, man. This this year may not go the way Bengals fans thought it would, but don't give up hope, Cincinnati fans. You are young and your future is bright. Which brings me to my Steelers. Oh, Steelers fans, what a day yesterday was for you. Because you you may be you may be the most thankful fan base of all right now, even after that ugly loss in Cleveland on Sunday, because they did it, Steelers fans. The Steelers finally pulled the plug on the failed Matt Canada experiment. So Canada, the team's beleaguered offensive coordinator, he's not the reason for all of Pittsburgh's problems on offense. But their performance at Cleveland on Sunday was so dysfunctional and so bad, with so many miscommunications and blown assignments and just egregious examples of being unprepared that it was simply too hard for Mike Tomlin to justify keeping on Canada. His, his tenure as offense coordinator in Pittsburgh was really bad. And so adios to Matt Canada, which is news that will make Steelers fans plenty grateful this Thanksgiving. All right, on to the South where Texans fans should rejoice, not just over the play of rookie quarterback C.J. Stroud, but really over the fact that the organization hired a lights-out head coach in D'Amico Ryans. I mean, what a job Ryans and his offense coordinator Bobby Slowick are doing with this Texans team, which won 11 games combined the past three seasons. But if the playoffs started today, they'd be in. And I don't know if there's anybody in the AFC that would want to play them out of the gate. So a lot to be thankful for with the Texans. And in Tennessee, you can be grateful that the team named Will Levis the starter for the rest of the year. That way you'll get an honest look at whether he's the quarterback of the future or whether you have to make an offseason move to bring in a veteran or, or competition. And Jacksonville, man, be thankful for Doug Peterson. He's another excellent head coach. What a great touch he has with young players and with fitting his system to his talent. I really think he's one of the most underrated head coaches in the league and a great leader of young men. And Colts fans, be grateful that you settled the Jonathan Taylor squabble. And you're going to get to see him paired with Anthony Richards next season. That duo's debut will take longer than expected, but it really should be worth waiting for. Which moves us out to the West, where Raiders fans should be thankful for the life that Antonio Pierce has breathed back into this team. And I don't think the Raiders are going to make the playoffs, but they're playing with passion and purpose, which is something that they lacked prior to Pierce taking over. So they should be exciting to watch for the rest of the year. And Broncos fans, be grateful that your defense has found itself. And also that Russell Wilson may not be as washed up as people thought. And that somehow, after giving up 70 points and 700 yards earlier this year to Miami, your season didn't implode. That's a great job by Sean Payton from keeping that ship from sinking in Denver. And Chargers fans, Again, man, you know, I hate to do the negative on Thanksgiving, but be thankful that it looks like the Brandon Staley era will be over pretty soon. That really hasn't gone well. And if you're a Chargers fan, you don't want to see the team waste Justin Herbert's prime. He's only 25, but still it feels like they're not getting the maximum that they should be getting out of that team with their star quarterback there. So I can't see the Chargers retaining Staley beyond this year. So. Again, like Cincinnati, you may have to suffer through the rest of the season, but there is hope beyond. Chiefs fans, 
Tough loss on Monday night to the Eagles. You outplayed the Eagles. You couldn't catch the darn football. Travis Kelsey turned it over. All I can say, Chiefs fans, is this. Be glad Travis is dating Tay-Tay and not a Kardashian because the Kardashians are the kiss of doom for any franchise. All right, that's the AFC. And after the break, we're going to take a look at the things that the fans of each NFC team should be thankful for. And we're also going to look real quick at an anniversary, a really interesting anniversary, at one of the more compelling games in recent memory and what that tells us about the NFL. So come on back. Kevin Smith back with you on the call sheet. And before we get to our NFC teams and what their fan bases should be uh, thankful for as we head into the Thanksgiving holiday, let me give a shout out to my buddy Pez, who is our resident in-house prognosticator, has been making, making picks for us all year long here on the Fans First Network. And he is blistering hot. Six out of his last seven, 27, 18, and one. Overall, on the year, Pez has been killing it. And if you want to get the full menu of Pez's picks, tune into his podcast, which runs on Wednesday. Pez and Jeff Hartman doing their Pez's Picks segment. Again, man, 27, 18, and 1 Pez for the year. He's killing the national guys. You know, when he's got his own national show, I just, I just need him to remember, Pez, I'm the dude who launched you, man. Remember, I gave you, I gave you your shot here. Right. So uh, take care of the little people, will you, when you make it big. So Pez's picks every Wednesday, uh, that, dro- that podcast drops on FFSN. All right. On to the NFC. Before the break, we did things that AFC fan bases should be thankful for. Here's our NFC teams. Let's start in the East where Giants fans, man, let's be thankful for Tommy DeVito, that North Jersey kid, that graduate of the high school powerhouse, Don Bosco Prep, the kid whose family looks like something out of central casting from, from the Sopranos, and you know who really couldn't be a possible better Cinderella story for a Giants franchise that was really desperately in need of something to rally around in this miserable season of theirs. And then last week, DeVito threw three touchdowns in the Giants' surprising win over the Commanders. And he might not be able to keep up that pace, but for one week anyway, the undrafted free agent quarterback was the toast of the town in New York. So be thankful for Mr. DeVito. How about the Commanders fans? Well, they should be thankful for their quarterback as well, Sam Howe, who may or may not be the long-term answer at the position in Washington, but who at least gives them something to be excited about. I, I think Howe has boomer bust potential, and he kind of reminds me a little bit of Baker Mayfield, which I don't know if that's the best thing for Washington fans. But he's exciting, right? And after years of subpar quarterback play, it's nice for them to have a spark plug at the most important position in the game. All right, on to the Cowboys. Well, Commanders fans, I gave you something to be thankful for, and now I'm going to take a shot at you. I apologize. But Cowboys fans, be thankful that you get to play the Commanders on Thursday on Thanksgiving because Washington is in free fall. They've dropped four out of five, and the Cowboys are hot. And that combination should make for a great Thanksgiving for Cowboys fans. And then Eagles fans, 
Well, hey, man, what's not to be thankful for? The Eagles are 9-1. and one. They're winning Kansas City on Monday night. That really demonstrated just how good they are because they got outplayed by the Chiefs. They didn't play particularly well on offense specifically, but they held the Chiefs to 17 points. I mean, Kansas City helped them with some drops and turnovers, but in the end, Philly didn't play their best game against one of the best teams in the league on the road, and they still found a way to win. And that's the mark of a really good football team. And that was really Jalen Hurts' message after the game to reporters, that in the NFL, it's not going to be easy every week, and you have to find a way to win. And the Eagles are doing just that. All right, so on to the NFC North. Lions fans, be thankful for Dan Campbell. I'm sure you are. But just as a reminder, man, Dan Campbell's energy, his enthusiasm, his attitude, they have really changed things in Detroit. And I thought their come-from-behind win on Sunday, where they trailed the Bears 26-14 to with four minutes left but rallied to win, I thought that was a great example of how the culture's changing in Detroit. I mean, that's a game the old Lions had no shot of winning. But this group believes, and they play hard for 60 minutes, and that's a testament to their head coach. And I think Detroit has a great one in Campbell. So Bears fans, let's not talk about this season, right? Forget it. This is a lost season. But, hey, man, not, not everything looks bleak. Let's talk about the draft. Bears fans, you're going to have two potential top five picks, maybe even better than that, come April because you have both yours – which is looking like a top five pick and the number one pick from the Panthers, which very well may, may be the top pick overall. And that means you can load up for the future, you know, provided obviously that you don't screw it up, which is another story, but one that we won't dwell on if we're giving thanks right now. On to Minnesota Vikings fans. Be thankful for Kevin O'Connell. What a great job he's done helping that team rebound from a dreadful 0-3 start, managing to stay in the playoff hunt despite losing Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins. I mean, it was a tough loss in Denver the other night, but the Vikings should still make the playoffs, and that's quite an accomplishment given what they've had to overcome. As for the Packers, Jordan Love has shown some fourth-quarter moxie this year. I think that he, you know bringing Green Bay back on a couple occasions to win games late, I think he's got uh, the clutch gene in him, and that's huge for a young quarterback. He's got a long way to go to prove he's the franchise guy, but he's definitely shown enough for Packers fans to be optimistic. All right, on to the worst division in football, the NFC South, where, where things are bad, but not all is lost. So Carolina fans, I texted my son Jake, who's a Panthers fan, on this topic, and I asked him to weigh in. I said, I said to him, give me, give me one thing that you're thankful for as a Panther fan. So here's what he said. He said, he said I'm thankful the rest of the division also stinks. Okay, well, that's a starting point. And I'm thankful that Bryce Young seems to be taking the loss as well. He hasn't had a chance to show much because the supporting cast is bad, but his attitude is in the right place. I'd rather have Bryce as our quarterback than Ritter, Mayfield, or Carr. And that's an interesting point. So there you go, Panthers fans. That's the silver lining in the gray cloud that has been your 2023 season. You may have, long-term, the best quarterback in the division. To Atlanta, where Falcons fans should be thrilled at the progress of B. John Robinson. I mean, he's electric with the ball in his hands. He is just a playmaker. And now Falcons fans have to hope that Arthur Smith starts calling his number more often so he can make those plays. Saints fans, be thankful that you're probably going to host an NFC playoff game. You, you may be eight and nine when you do it, 
But winning the division gets you that game. And from there, anything can happen. And Saints fans should know this because it wasn't that long ago that an 11 and 5 Saints team went to Seattle and got knocked off by a 7 and 9 Seahawks team in the playoffs in the, in the famous Marshawn Lynch Beastquake game. Now, this New Orleans team could repeat that feat. They'd have to do it by probably beating a really good Cowboys team, which is a tough ask. But the Cowboys have shown a penchant for falling flat come playoff time. So you never know, Saints fans. You never know. And as for the Bucks, well, if the Saints don't win it, you probably will. Be grateful for that for all the same reasons. You play at New Orleans in Week 18 in a game that may very well decide the South. I mean, that's the kind of play-in game that makes the final few weeks of the season so exciting. So for Bucks fans, there's still hope that you can get to the postseason and even make some noise if you do. All right, let's finish up out West, where Seahawks fans should be grateful for the remarkable resurgence of Geno Smith. I mean, he's a guy who'd been labeled a bust after eight ineffective seasons for four franchises. Uh, And then he landed the starting job in Seattle last year, and he's gone a respectable 15 and 12 since then with 42 touchdowns and only 19 interceptions. I mean, that's not bad for a guy who most people had forgotten was even in the league just a couple of years ago. And in L.A., Rams fans can be thankful for Puka, as in Puka Nakua, the rookie phenom who came out of nowhere to break all sorts of records for production by a rookie in the first few games of his career. He helped keep that offense functional while Cooper Cup was off the shelf, and he should give them a formidable one-two punch at receiver going forward. All right, I'm going to draw all my family again for this next one. My sister lives in Tempe, Arizona. She is a rabid Cardinals fan, and here's her take on what Cards fans can be thankful for. Quote, I'm glad the Suns season has begun so I can watch a winning team. End quote. (laughs) Pretty succinct for my sister. So Cardinals fans, there you go. And finally, for our final team, the San Francisco 49ers, let's just say that with the embarrassment of riches that that team enjoys in both terms of talent and coaching, if Niners fans can't find anything to be thankful for, well, I feel bad for you. So there you go. One thing that all 32 NFL fan bases should be thankful for as we head into tomorrow's holiday. All right, before we wrap this up, I want to talk briefly about an anniversary. And no, it's not my own. My own is in June. And if my wife is somehow listening to this podcast, she'll be happy to know that I remember. It's June 26, babe. I have not forgotten. And it's not the anniversary of the Kennedy assassination, which, again, if you're a history person, right, and you're listening on Wednesday, marks 60 years to the day that that fateful event took place in Dallas, in which, as a history teacher, I could probably talk for hours on this subject. I find it so compelling. It was the subject of my research thesis in college, the Kennedy assassination and corresponding conspiracy theories, which I thought was a fascinating topic back then. But no, this is not the 60th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination. It's a football anniversary. 
specifically the following, right? Last, last Sunday marked the five-year anniversary of one of the most fascinating football games in recent memory. On November 19th, 2018, the Chiefs beat the Rams 54-51 to in the third highest scoring game in NFL history. It was the only game in league history where the losing team scored at least 50 points. And interestingly, it's a game that many people thought at the time would usher in a new era of offensive dominance in the NFL where high-scoring games, maybe maybe not that high-scoring, but games where the combined points were in the 60s would become the norm. And despite the league's best efforts to create those types of games, that hasn't happened. So we're going to look at why in a second and at the impact that that 54-51 game has had the past few years. But first, let's just talk about the game itself for a minute. I, I mean, the stats. Let's just talk about the stats. The stats are absurd. Patrick Mahomes passed for 478 yards and six touchdowns. His counterpart, Jared Goff, 413 yards and four touchdowns. Tyreek Hill, then a member of the Chiefs, 10 catches for 215 yards. Travis Kelsey, 10 for 127. The two teams, this is amazing. The two teams combined for 56 first downs and 1,001 total yards of offense. That's like a Big 12 Texas Tech-Oklahoma State game. Here's my favorite stat. There were 13 touchdowns scored in the, in the game. Three of them were scored by the defense, which is fairly remarkable. But of the 10 touchdowns scored by the offense, nine of them came on drives that lasted less than four minutes. Only one scoring drive out of the 10 offensive touchdowns in that game was more than four minutes long. I mean, that's that's remarkable. And so... I think the legacy of that game is more on what didn't happen in its aftermath than what did, because there was a lot of talk about it, suggesting that this would be the new normal and that the NFL, which had really gone to great lengths to change the rules, to make offenses more prolific in terms of what, how you could or couldn't defend receivers, touch the quarterback, et cetera. It felt like the league wanted more and more scoring. And for a little bit there, it looked like they might get it. In 2018, the combined points per game of NFL teams was 48.3, which was the highest it had been in over a decade. In 2019, it dropped a little bit down to 46 points per game. And in 2020, it was back up to 50.8. But then around 2021, something started to happen. And that's something, I believe, is that defenses just started to catch up. Offenses had gone to lighter personnel, those 11 personnel offenses. They were really emphasizing the quick passing game, getting the ball out of quarterbacks' hands quickly and and getting it into their playmakers and letting them run. And defenses started to adjust. Defenses started to play a lot more man-to-man. They started to look for cover corners who could run. They began to use more nickel and dime packages. They began to stunt the heck out of quarterbacks. They began to disguise coverages more. The Brian Flores influence. When Brian Flores was the defensive coordinator and then the head coach in Miami. And and he would run those mug looks where you'd put seven defenders lined up across the ball and nobody at the linebacker level. And And you'd turn it into a guessing game. Uh, with the quarterback as to who was coming, who was dropping into coverage. Was it man? Was it zone? Was it a seven man blitz? Did you have to check to a hot? What, you know, making quarterbacks figure all that out 
became a challenge for offenses. And then right around 2020, 2021, you saw some of the big name quarterbacks who had just dominated the game for a long time start to retire. 2021 is the year where you started to see the decline in play of an eventual retirement of Hall of Fame quarterbacks, future Hall of Fame quarterbacks like Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. He went a few years earlier. Ben Roethlisberger, Phillip Rivers, Eli Manning, Matt Ryan, all those veteran quarterbacks who'd been so good for so long started to either decline or retire. And that, in combination with some of the changes defenses were making, really saw scoring start to dip. It went from 50.8 points per game in 2020 to 47.8 combined points in 2021, all the way down to 43.6 in 2022. And this year, at the 11-week mark, it's at 43.8, which is roughly a touchdown a game from where it was just three years ago. So really, really interesting stuff, man. The 54-51 game, which again, it's the it was the fifth year anniversary of that game last Sunday. Didn't really create a new normal in the NFL, despite all the intentions of the league to to allow scoring to flourish. And instead, while I wouldn't say that defenses are ahead of offenses right now, defenses are certainly making a comeback. All right, that's our show for this week, episode thirty two, and. I just can't wait for tomorrow, man. I'm really excited to, to see my family, watch some great football, and eat way more than I should. The Super Bowl of eating tomorrow. So I hope everybody has a great day, and we'll catch you again next week. Thanks for listening. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.